Hello, my warrior loves. Welcome to Beyond Body, a mini series where we are exploring body image and how to change the internal and external scripts that influence the way you think and feel about your own body. Subscribe and follow along to hear real life stories and experiences on the path to body image healing. Now, if negative body image is holding you back and fueling your eating disorder, listen up. This February, we are curating a small, intimate group of warriors for Beyond Body, a six-month body image accelerator program that brings together tangible practices you can call on for the rest of your life and an intimate group format for deep learning, healing, and integration. Now, we officially start in March, so February is the time to get your application in and get on a discovery call to see if Beyond Body is for you. Beyond Body is a safe container designed for women in their mid to late 30s, 40s, and 50s who want to do real, long-lasting work to improve their body image so this one precious life can be enjoyed more fully and freely. With the right approach, skills, and support, body dissatisfaction doesn't have to hold you back in your relationships and career. If you want to make this the year you do deeper body image healing work during the spring and summer months, request an invite to apply for Beyond Body at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Spots are limited, so get yours in now by requesting an invite to apply at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Today, I'm with Andrea Wells, the host of Recover Strong, and we're going to be turning the tables here and doing a body image journey, kind of healing body image story for for me. So I'm excited to dive into this. I'm nervous. And yeah, Andrea, thank you for for being the interviewer here for me. Thank you. I'm a bit nervous as well because I think is this is the first time I'm interviewing you. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it is. <laughs> It'll be a bit of a fun experiment for us both, but I'm excited to get more into your story. There's always, I know a lot, but there's a lot more to learn and there'll be lots of valuable invi- insights for the listener. You have um, a very unique, inspiring story, so I'm excited to get into it. For anybody with this interview that we're going to be doing on, I am going to be touching on some sensitive subjects around, you know, sexual abuse. So if you have any, this is like, I guess, the upfront trigger warning to stop if these type of topics getting talked about raise any distress for you, or maybe just check in with where you're at in this moment in time. If you want to be hearing people talk about some things that can happen to our bodies that are against our consent. Always good to warn that. Thank you for that, Jessica. Um, should we just get right into it? Yeah, let's, let's jump in. Got my matcha. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, ooh, that looks looks yummy and cozy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're set, settling in for a good talk here. Let's start off with the beginning of your body story. And what age did you first become aware that your body was something to manage or keep small? And what was going on in your life at that time? Around in high school, I remember it was more around my junior year. My whole life, I've been very athletic. Like I've just loved sports. Volleyball was really my main sport that I was in love with and passionate about. And when volleyball season ended, I ended up like needing to have some outlet to to train and just to feel like I could sweat and things like that. And this is when I found my way to Body Focus, which was a gym in where I lived in California. And there is where I started to be submersed in diet culture. And I started to hear these other women talk about what they were eating and like you know, cookies, like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to work out extra harder because I had that cookie. And so I started to like connect like, oh, you know, because with with my upbringing, there was never much talk about food in a negative light and like with diet culture that didn't really come in. It was just 
I mean, we could get into a whole how, how I was raised with food. I mean, I was like a fend for myself. Like I was like, you know, find my own food type of kid. And so I, I was raised on on things that you could stick into the oven or the microwave or or leftovers. Like that was how I, I was raised with food. And with that said, I never really had like that diet culture coming in through my family, but it did get exposed to it during that time when I was going to the gym and starting to read these magazines like Shape and Self. And then I started to, to connect the dots, what they were saying around, you know, leaving out salad dressing because clearly it's better to have a salad with no dressing on it. Like, and so those are the type of things that I started to you know, play with in my junior year. But really what, what I noticed at that time, like what was going on was I was under an immense amount of pressure and it was really internalized self-pressure. It was, wasn't put on to me by anyone else other than myself. And at that period in time, I was in the running for valedictorian. And I remember like sophomore year, I can remember the exact like moment. And it was a very like life-defining moment if I think about it. it like I was in Mr. Parker's science class, biology, and I get the little slip and it's like, you're number one in the class of like 592 people, you know? And I'm like, oh, all of a sudden, and this can be like the kind of mind of someone who's an easier, all of a sudden it was like, goal, I have to stay number one. Like I need to hit this goal or else. And so at that point I started to just become obsessed with schoolwork and obsessed with my academics and obsessed with my my athletics as well. I was just a really driven girl, woman at that in that stage. And so that ended up really costing my me my mental health because I put so much pressure on myself to have to get that A. Like if I didn't get the A, that really felt like death to me. That was like a not like I couldn't even it had to be like above and beyond perfect. So there was just this like really intensity to the way I, I worked with perfectionism and grades and athletics at the time. So when I started to bring dieting into that and, and body focus into that, you know, upon much reflection, now I'm about to be turning 40 this year, it's like it was because it was a it was a compensation for feeling imperfect. It was a compensation for the amount of shame that I was holding within me that was un, unmet at that point in my life. It was completely unmet because all I could do is just strive, strive, strive and do, do, do and perfect, perfect, perfect. So, so that was really what was going on in my life at the time was just very intense uh, perfectionism and debilitating to some extent, I would say. And it really cost me my mental health. That story is so common with eating disorders is not only do you have to like strive for per perfection or being ruled by numbers, like I got to be the perfect weight or look the quote perfect way, like it ties into so many other things like school, sports, that's a story that I relate to, and I know that many others do. It's really interesting as well how you're, you didn't really feel impacted by the diet culture stuff until you were in a gym called Body Focus. It sounds like you were just trying to go in there and like you're just naturally an athletic person. You like to move. You like to sweat. That's, that's something that's part of you. And you went in there for like pure reasons and kind of got a little thwarted along the way through no fault of your own, of course. <laughs> Do you want to know? I don't tell this to that many people, but <laughs> you said pure ways. I think it's kind of funny. I had my first orgasm in body focus. <laughs> what machine was that? <laughs> okay. So like, <laughs> there's that one where you like hold your, the leg lifts, where you hold like you hold the behind your head, you hold the thing, you like lift your legs up and down. So you're on incline and your mm -hmm. legs are facing down. And I like was doing that and at that point, by the way, like since I was so into athletics and academics, I did not date at all in high school. Like I would have 
these unrequited loves. That's been a very big pattern in my life is like unrequited love, like just the person from afar, you know, that like just crushes, like really intense crushes that I could be so romantic around, but there was actually no real like connection and intimacy. So it helped me stay safe and like distance from that, but I still got to feel the the aliveness and the eros energy. But yeah, so I was in body focus and all of a sudden I was just doing these leg lifts and like, you know, if you're you're like certain I don't know, just like rub you just rub <laughs> but I was like Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But anyways, didn't realize gyms had so much to offer. I, I was like, that's funny. Like my first orgasm was working out at the gym. Totally unexpected. Okay. So body focus had uh, some pros and cons to it. <laughs> and when you talk about like safety and distance, how does that tie into what was going on with your body journey and how you felt about your body at that time? Like, why did you feel a need to be distant and why did you have to keep safe? Yeah. You know, for me, it was very early on. I had some things happen in my childhood, childhood molestation. And, and it, it's sad when you see the statistics on, you know, how many women, you know, before the age of 18 have some type of sexual violation on them. Uh, they say it's, you know, one in four, which is a lot. And so I was one of the statistics that had that male energy put onto me in a non-consensual way and really in a way that robbed my innocence. When you actually look at a kid, like they don't know what's what pleasure and pleasure is not. Like so it's really fucked up, like to tell you the truth. And and so that was something that I I carried with me in in such a shameful way. And sometimes these things get so buried and repressed in our own mind. So it's taken me years to really come to terms with that and how much it impacted me. And so I just put on this armor. I put on this armor very early that was like, I'm just going to be like okay in the world because I'm going to like hit all these different markers of success, quote unquote success, right? Like athletic success, like academic success. Like I just want to be safe in the world through this image or this construct that I create, an ego identity that I create that's going to keep me safe. And all the while though, there's this inner child that just feels so neglected and unseen and unheard and wounded. And I didn't really have the emotional resources in my home to to be supported around any of the things I was I was going through. So my parents went through a divorce. And this is when my eating disorder actually started. So my eating disorder started when I was around six years old. The body focus era, so why that first question is to me just is like a little bit of the top is when, oh, that's why I actually tried to stay small. But like really I was a small kid, an athletic kid, so my body never was a point of focus to other people to comment on, and I was a binge eater. I found my love through food, and this came at a time when you know I had the sexual the molestation happen earlier, and then there was the divorce, and they my parents went through a bankruptcy, so that's often like a heavier type of experience to go through a bankruptcy and a divorce, so I lost a lot of security that point in time. Like all of a sudden we were we were living it up. Like we had a very good thing going for us when, you know, my dad, he was into like stocks and commodities and he rose way up to the top very fast and was like a multimillionaire at 28 and then just gambled it all away. So we were like top of the top in like the nice neighborhood and then boom, crash, living in a two-room apartment with my mom and my brother and my dad's living in a radiator shop, sleeping on a couch. And when he would come babysit is also when more of this like abuse would happen. And so I, yeah, at, the, at that time period, I 
just was so distraught and I literally didn't know how to cope with it. So food became my my coping mechanism. Food became that for me. But there were some things that happened too around that time like where like my parents were very – like their divorce was so bitter. <laughs> it was like really bitter and resentment. Even to this day, like my dad is has now passed. But to this day, it's like you mentioned his name and it's like, oh, you know, like so it's always been like very torn. And this was not a healthy divorce, okay? So I was not seeing two human beings really displaying good like mediation and, and working together. It was like the opposite. So my dad – one time he pulled me out of kinder care and cut my hair. I used to have this like most gorgeous blonde, cute, like kind of Shirley Temple like hair. And he like pulled me out of kinder care and just like cut it like a boy. And that happened once. I don't remember that specific event because with some trauma that you can get in life, you can have very Swiss cheese memory. And but I do remember he did it another time <laughs> when I was in third grade at like the very end of third grade. He pulled me out again and cut my hair like a boy, but this time himself with like his own scissors. But what mm-hmm. was really hard is then he put me back into class that day. So imagine you're like a third grade girl and your dad pulls you out of class, cuts your hair like a boy, and then sticks you back into class. Everybody started to make fun of me and they started to like say like, you're a boy, you're a boy. So everybody thought I was a boy and I would try to wear these like little headbands. Like, you know what people do with like little babies? You don't know if the baby's a boy or a girl. So people just like <laughs> stick like random flower headbands on the baby. Like that was me. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm a girl, <laughs> like, but I look like a boy. <laughs> and so I ended up just going tomboy at that stage. Like it really defined, like I feel like that was a point that brought me more, this was already like into sports. So I just became like this tomboy and I started to wear really like my brother's secondhand clothes. So I would take my brother's old clothes and I ended up kind of being the cool girl or cool kid in, in the school too. Like, you know, people respected me in the soccer field. And so, like, but I was like dressed like a boy. I was full on like tomboy. And where then that transitions as we move from Illinois to California. We came in in October. So I came in a few months into school. So school already started in California. So I was already like the late kid coming into school. And freaking Mrs. Mirage, I'm going to like throw, I'm going to tell her name, Mrs. Mirage Wildhood Elementary School. She, I mean, this, I can't believe what some teachers do, right? Or some doctors, like we've talked about, just like the things that they think is like, okay. So on my first day of school, by the way, so I was like kind of, I was tomboy. Like I was listening to Nirvana and listening to Pearl Jam. Like I was grunge. Like I was cool in Illinois. And then I came to California and that wasn't cool. It reminds me kind of the movie Clueless where there was like Ty and Cher. And like I was kind of like Ty mm-hmm. coming in like all like skater girl and just like, mm. yeah, tomboy. But she made me pull up my shirt and jump up and down to test the pants test. And my pants didn't add kind of came down, like not fully down to the ground. What is the pants test? It's if your pants are too baggy. So I'd like baggy. I wore like baggy pants. Like I was cool. Like I was like, yeah, yeah. So essentially like in front of everybody on my first day of school, I'm having to jump up and down to show that my pants are too big and that are coming down. And then I get a Why like, do violation, a dress code. Oh, like a dress code thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, like a dress code thing to be like, you're not supposed to do that. But I'm like, wow, like way to F up 
a girl's like first day of school. <laughs> like, clearly, yeah, you that's maybe terrible. Like, so I remember that day we had to go to the Gap, and like after that, I started to fall in with like the popular girl crowd, and like I started to wear floral everything. Like I just, it was a was such a weird transition when I look at it. Like all of a sudden, all those clothes were just like boom, Jessica, you can't wear these anymore we're going to the gap. And like, now you're in limited two, and like, now you're wearing these clothes. And, and so there was, I think there was always that part. And as we get more into like some of the story I wanted to share of this, like unresolved part of like boy and girl in me, the boy and the girl, the man and the woman, like this, this duality that I was always working with. I want to commend you for openly sharing your experience facing sexual abuse as a child. I know that is a big part of your your trauma story, your eating disorder story. And I know that's just something that you've recently opened up about in the last year. And that's a big deal for you. So I want to commend you for that. I think that's very admirable. And I know that there are so many other people who can relate and have had similar experiences that also impact their food and body journeys. So I just want to commend you. I really appreciate and respect you for sharing that. And I do think it's really interesting as well how you started out more focused on food. Body came in later with the gym. And like, I didn't know that about your dad cutting your hair and how that kind of messed with your identity, understandably. And you've talked a bit about like, you know, the masculine and the feminine and the feminine on the podcast before. Can you just kind of go into more about what that means? Because I know you've shared it's not like it is and it isn't about gender. So can you just kind of explain for the listener what the definitions of those are. Yeah, I'd love to because this is, you know, this has been such a huge part of my healing journey is recognizing that these are polarities. These are constructs. They're energies that are within all of us, just like there's the yin and the yang. So it's not actually looking at it as like genitalia, but more as one's expression of, of this energy. And so really the masculine energy is much more, you know, it's much more but put like words around masculine energy. It's angular. It is, it's the doing forced. It is very mind oriented. It's goal oriented. It's cerebral. The masculine energy is our thinking. It's our intellect. It's our rationale. It is what gets an outcome done. It's process. It's results. It's, it's action. It's competitiveness. You know, it's, it's a practical energy. It's, it's what we actually really value in this society is someone who is able to hit their goals, get outcomes, be competitive, right? But what it does is it is a separate energy. It really values more freedom and separateness as opposed to the feminine energy. So masculine energy was really about, it's about achievement. It's about, it is about, um, you know, focus, strength. It's risk-taking, right? And so I have a lot more masculine energy, I would say, naturally. And there's, there's this thing that I saw where if you as a woman, you can try this to see, but if you take your ring finger and if your ring finger is longer than your index finger, developmentally when you're in the womb, so if your your ring finger is longer than your index finger, developmentally in the womb, you had a, a different balance of hormones. And so women who have longer ring fingers and index fingers are more masculine in by nature. There, there is a study that shows they're more entrepreneurial. They're more because they have a higher risk tolerance. Like I have an insanely high risk tolerance. Like I've done things where if you were to press pause on Jessica's life, you're like, right there, she should have died. Like right there. Like I have so many. Sometimes when I'm like, you know, surfing waves like that are crashing on top of a submerged shipwreck, you know, I've just done like super crazy shit Whoa. that I really <laughs> should like not be alive. 
you know, being in typhoons and going out on deck by myself in a typhoon. Like, it's like, like I don't know. Like, there's part of me that actually like, likes it. Like, I kind of feel like, you know, Angelina Jolie or well, something. Thrill right? seeking can be <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah, like, I like adrenaline. Like, I, 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 I like that. So that's more the masculine, though. The masculine's going to go out and wants to, like, hunt and get it and, like, secure something. But a woman wants to feel security. Like, she wants to feel like, she doesn't want to put herself in harm's way because essentially she wants to take care of things, meaning that she needs to be around. If a man is to die, the baby can still survive, right? The baby really does need to be with the mother in the beginning time period. I mean, of course, we can look now modern day, but I'm talking more about like early on, the mother was the real life force. She was the life giver and the life preserver. Now, the masculine was the life protector. So the masculine is very important in, in protecting, in feeling that we're protected and in, in, in safe. So when we look at feminine energy, feminine is more so masculine was angular. Feminine is curvaceous. It's round. It's much more soft. It's curvaceous. Is flowing. The feminine is the being principle. Masculine is the doing principle. Masculine is going to do. Feminine is going to be. The feminine is the vessel, right? It is what carries the child. It, it's the vessel. It's the holder of life. It is body-oriented because of that. It's more physical and sensual and heartfelt. And the feminine has a lot to do with our wisdom, whereas the masculine is our intellect. And the feminine has a lot to do with our intuition and connection. It's not about competition. It's about collaboration. So the feminine is more of this principle of community. Right? That's, that's feminine is community. And that's why when you can come together, we're stronger together in a community, whereas the masculine, we're always competing against one another to try you know, to get more status. So those are the different energies. And when we look at them, you know, the programs I've done, this has been really impactful for women to start to look at. And this comes a lot from the work that we did in the book, Eating in the Light of the Moon by Dr. Anita Johnston, is when the feminine energy is suppressed or denied or looked at as weaker, we will cut it off. And that's why we cut off the body. We cut off our sensations. We cut off our pleasure. Uh, we cut off the rest that the feminine is so seeking is just to be, just to not have to do your freaking to-do list, like to just be in your body and like just enjoy nature, right? The feminine is connected to nature. And so when we suppress that, we really do cut off a huge vital source of who we are. And it creates a lot of disturbances with food and with body image. And when we can start to find the polarities coming together to work in unison, and this is a lot of the work I'm doing now to repair my body image, is what's called, you know, the the divine union, the sacred marriage. It's the inner marriage of these two polarities. When you can get them to come together in 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 a way where the masculine's providing the protection and the container for the feminine to grow and to be, it allows so much beauty in one's life. And it really is, it's it's a merging of these two energies. It's not about negating one or the other, but it's recognizing the imbalance or the suppression of, of one or the other. And so these have been really big, big energies for me to understand and work with. We live in a modern world and, you know, gender identity and expression is a big topic. So I want to, I'm just curious, like, how does or does not the masculine and feminine principles tie into gender or gender identity? Like, what's the relation there? So you can almost call it like energy A, energy B. If you want, if that helps, like it really isn't about a genitalia. It's about an, an energy and that these are polarities, right? So we look at polarities, meaning if there's angular, there has to be curves. So it's like they're polarities. I think people get tripped up though because of, of the the way we're like moving more into gender fluidity mm -hmm. that that can trip people up. So 
I'm even kind of thinking about that as I move forward in my career, how to teach this without people being like, like, why are you, why are you telling me that I have to be more like a woman? Like, yeah, I think I can hold people back yeah. from understanding it. That's why it's like yin, yang, black, white, like the, the polarities. Right. And so it's not necessarily about question. gender roles. It's just, it's about the different types of energies and how they come together. Yeah. Or how they're different. Yeah. This is okay. it's a lot to do with depth psychology. And, and men, men are cut off from their feminine, from their feeling nature, right? We're all cut off the way that, that we've really you know, the patriarchy has really suppressed the feminine, the intuition, the feeling, all of that has been deemed as weak, right? And if we want to be strong, because we want to be safe in this world, right? We equate strong with safety. You don't equate weak with safety, do you? Right. No, I want to be strong, right? So that is what we end up suppressing, the feminine energy. And you even look at like how we're destroying a lot of the resources and the earth. We're not thinking more in terms of that community and collaboration. We're thinking in terms of these large systems of profit. And that's more of the masculine drive of competitiveness, of being one who's on the top, right? Who's the head honcho? I mean, I can see how these different sides have tied into your your story with food and body and, you know, like the masculine energy with having to strive to be valedictorian or move your body as much as possible, be the best athlete, be the best student. And I want to get back into your body story so let me go back to the time where you started to focus on body, body focus, literally and figuratively with the gym name. What was your biggest body insecurity back then and how has it evolved to now? So my biggest body insecurity then, and it was years even before that, was my my body hair. So a lot of times when we're looking at our body image insecurities they're often part of our natural, like our genetic line, like ancestral <laughs> heritage. And so I inherited very thick hair. And so if you look at me, like with my my hair here, like I have a full head of hair and it is like gorgeous. Like I'm not going to deny the beauty of this hair. Like <laughs> it is like, I have never, I mean, every time I step into a hairdresser's seat, they're like, oh my God. And they like bring everybody like around. They're just like, look at this hair. And it's natural. Like it's natural. I don't, I put sun in, in it like twice a year. Like you that's straight all I do. Or is for, it like, naturally that straight? I straightened it today. But no, you know, no, it's not okay. this naturally straight. But it's even like when it's been, it's kind you of like, it's like PC. I'm going to It's like PC this. wavy. Yeah. Like I have amazing, <laughs> I have like a full head of hair, right? It's, it's beautiful. But that hair is everywhere facial hair too and just on parts of my body like on my butt and just my whole my whole body is like covered in hair so it's very like and that's why animalistic in some way like I have a lot of of hair but I always felt really different than the other girls because of how much hair I had and especially on like my upper lip and on my face and that was always something that and yeah boys would make fun of it my dad would make fun of it like he'd grab it and say like oh you go to mustache and so just that alone too with all that other stuff that happened with like getting my hair cut and just becoming like a tomboy. Like I was just so confused with with this hair on my body and it really was always something that I was comparing with other girls on. Like I would always look at their body hair versus my body hair. And I can see like some people with their things with certain body parts, like right, you'll just like be really obsessive about some body part and yours. So then you look at other people's body parts. So for me, it was always about hair and and I when I share more because I want to share a little more about about this with with my hair because I do see parallels maybe not many people are gonna be like oh yeah that's my my same insecurity but what I've seen is like it's like shadow and light so with my thick head of you know really thick gorgeous long lustrous feminine hair right 
<laughs> Should I add another adjective in there, Andrew? Own it. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was to like own that, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> that like with that said, people will comment on that, but they don't even know what is going on with all the other hair experiences and shame that I'm holding around having hormonal condition called hirsutism, which is malpatterned hair growth. So it's very masculine in nature of where my hair grows and the patterning of it and the thickness of it and the darkness of it and the uh, like how fast it grows. Like it's kind of like a chia pet. And so people will comment on my my hair and I'm always thinking like inside like, okay, thanks. But like if you only knew, like if you only freaking knew how much pain and shame is in that. And I know that people feel that too with their body when people are like, oh my God, you look so great. And like they know that they're just killing themselves in the gym and what they're eating. And they're like, if you only knew, like if you only knew how much pain this has, this has caused me or like how much I have to like go to great effort to try to control this. Like if I was to not control my hair, you guys would see a totally different woman. I remember a few months after I started working here and we were in a team meeting and someone on our team, I think, complimented your hair because it's lovely, as we've been discussing. And I think you made like a little joke in passing. You're like, you should see the hair in other places and just kind of like giggled and like brushed it off. And so I just look back at them like because I know that this has been something that you've wanted to open up about struggling with body image, particularly with body hair. I know it's something you've kind of kept close to your chest. So I think back, I'm like, okay, she's like kind of planting the seeds. Maybe you were entertaining the idea of coming out with it back then. And now you're you're sharing that. And I think that's totally valid. And just like with body size and weight, it's another it's another societal ideal that just makes us feel like we're not good enough, right? Like, oh, a woman should be so hairless, but maybe we don't necessarily have control over that. <laughs> or, you know, obviously we can shave, but it's like, it's a natural thing. No control, no control. And, and I recognize first, I'm going to say like my hair to me, what I see it as is it's a protection thorn, right? Like the thorn of the rose. Like, my hair for me has been protection. It has kept me away from intimacy with men for most of my entire life. I felt like a lot of shame. Like, why would you, why would you want like somebody who has this condition? Essentially, if I was to not manage or control my hair, I would look like a boy in puberty. Like I have a beard. It's a deeper shame issue of truly feeling so much shame and judgment about an aspect of my body that has held me back profoundly because it's been a protection for me. And what it has cut me off is from my real self and real intimacy and bonding and closeness. So I have like never truly let a man fully in to discover this part of me. It's always, and that's why I can see how unavailability has been so attractive to me because unavailability is safe. Unavailability does not mean truly showing who you are and who I am if I'm not fully accepting of that is where I get in the way, right? So it's finding that like, okay, unadulterated acceptance. Like, this is who I am. What happened is like, I did have hair growth, you know, the chin hairs and things like that when I was in my uh, in my 20s. But in my 30s, I had a really beautiful relationship. I thought we were going to get like engaged and move to Boston and like all my bags, like everything was packed. Like we were ready to move. Like it was all ready. I thought everything was like according to plan. <laughs> And so on my birthday, the plan totally changed. And he was he was seven years younger. So even when I look back like on that, I recognize like I was already kind of pursuing unavailability there because the whole and I've learned a great lesson to never give a man an ultimatum, but the whole like ultimatum was that 
I would move with him to Boston. Because I remember like when he got into his PhD program in Boston, he literally was like in the airplane with me and he's like, will you come with me? And I was like, yeah, you know, like totally like we're a team. Like it's going to be amazing. But then all of a sudden, but then all of a sudden like fear kicked in and I'm like, well, I want to have a kid like by the time I'm 35 because of fertility and da, 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 da. And so I was like, yes, I moved to Aust- I moved to Boston and I'm in Austin now. So clearly <laughs> A before B, <laughs> I'll move to Boston with you <laughs> and I will, but we have to have a kid, right? So I kind of put that on him and he was like, okay, you know, let's, let's, and we'll get married and all that. But he, you know, you never tell a man what to do. Like it doesn't work out. And so he, he ended up, you know, having some time to reflect on that and didn't want to go through with that because I don't think he he really said I don't want to be resentful of of my decision in life. So it was a beautiful, I mean, it really was the breakup was so hard for me though in that moment because I never faced prior to that. I never faced in those like 31 years, I never faced the abandonment issues and trauma that I had from emotional abandonment, physical abandonment. And it was like this Pandora's box of grief was just like unleashed. And I literally like, at this time I discovered self-compassion. I went to a mindful-based self-compassion intensive training program. And I I really just thank everything for that program that I learned self-compassion at this point in time because I was met with such intense shame. And so at this point, I had to choose where to live. Like I was already moved, essentially I was already like done where I was living. Everything was packed. I was supposed to be moving. So I needed to find a place to move. So I went to Boulder, Colorado, and I just went through such a deep grief process and just meeting this part of me that felt so rejected and so unloved and so not chosen, not wanted. And it was very strong emotions that I was being met with that I really suppressed all those years through academics, through grad school, through building, starting a company. I'd never really like allowed that to be even felt or seen. And this was something that it just came bubbling up. But at the time I I needed, you know, I, I had my company, Recovery Warriors, at that point was like, I don't even know how old she was at that point. Or it was eight years ago. So four years old. And so at that point, I I still needed to like take care of the company and like do something with it. And so I went through a, a business accelerator program and this was a program where companies came in and the whole idea was that we're going to like build this big company, get investment funding. So I still had a strong like ego protection, like I'm going to be something in the world and I'm going to like make this like mental health like company called Warrior Fine. We're just going to like the Spotify of mental health. And, you know, and there's some there's some seeds there, right? Like, look, we're building this podcast channel and I see so much potential for the growth of it and the shows and the ideas and the way we can really leverage audio to help people. Like, I truly believe in that. At this time, though, it was very intense because this program, unlike Beyond Body, which is an accelerator program, body image accelerator program, which is going to be much more, you know, connected and feminine and this one was much more masculine energy, right? Beyond Body is all the feminine energy we talked about. Like the masculine energy of this accelerator program was like you're working like with a whip on your back. And I was the only single founder. Everybody else had teams of two or three. So I was trying to do the work of three people at that time while going through the most intense grief. Like I've never felt that level of emotional intensity before. It was just like, boom, Pandora's box. Like it just came out. And I made a decision, which in retrospect, I wish I could rewind and like choose differently, but I didn't. I, I do have ADHD, unmedicated now, but at the time I sought medication 
for for ADHD. And I I was able to to take that medication, which because I needed to focus. Because when you're going through strong emotions, it's actually really hard to focus because it's so draining. It actually drains your energy. So I'm like, I need to focus. Well, what happened with that is I already have such a sensitive. So the, the thing with women who have these longer, like the ring finger longer is really sensitive to, to the male hormones. It's not that I have more testosterone. I'm just sensitive to it, which makes me more yeah, sensitive to any spikes that can happen or any hormonal fluctuations. And so when I took that medication, really threw my adrenal system out and it just messed with my hormones in a big way because I was having so much stress on my system because of what I was going through emotionally and professionally. I was just full of stress. And interestingly, at the time, like I was going through so much shame, like like I'm talking about like just buried shame here. I started to like my blonde hairs started to like turn black. Once a hair goes from blonde to black, it stays black. It like permanently gets into that. So all of a sudden I'm like literally like growing like a like a beard, like a, a boy beard. It's, it's very like pubescent boy. I, there are people who have hirsutism who have like very strong beards, like bearded circus lady beards. I don't have bearded circus lady beard. I have like pubescent boy beard. And, but if I don't, and on the application page, I, I show a photo of this because just to kind of show like this is what I've been working through and why I, I Beyond Body is just as important to me as, as to anybody else because these type of insecurities hold us back so much. So then I, for the past eight years, have just been really having to work with this part of myself that can be so easy. This is where I see like the unconsciousness of something, how easy it is to just be stuck in patterns that you're so unaware of or unconscious of. And I've had to bring it to consciousness. But how can this pattern manifest when it's unconscious is like, I just work. I'll just work. And that's a great way to like cover up any shame that I feel for for this like masculine energy that just feels like it's like literally like in my face, on my face. And I'll get into unavailable relationships and have little dramas that can just play out for four or five, six months and boop, move on to the next drama, you know, and like not actually have to do the real work of like, okay, the real work is being, this is who I am. This is me, me natural. Like this is who I am. And I will say my condition is in a way where I can hide it. I can. And if I'm hiding that shame, I'm in secrecy and silence and judgment. I'm never truly going to be bonded in the way that I'll feel fully seen for who I am, like who I fully am. I'll be trying to hide that part of me. And then that really isn't, for me, the true path to intimacy. Yeah, absolutely. And just as much as you may seek someone who's unavailable, it's almost because it's like because of the shame and because of what you're avoiding, in a way, you're unavailable yourself. So to to work past that through yourself and like welcome in full openness on both ends is really beautiful. And again, I commend you for sharing this with the body hair. I know that's something that's been hard for you to open up about. And I think it's so important and so helpful. And I know in Beyond Body, we're going to get into, yes, we're going to get into like body size and weight. We're going to get into other aspects of beauty ideals, including it could yeah be body hair. It could be we're going to get into the youth ideal. Like there's so many different things that come into play with body image. And I think it's all relevant. And also, I want to thank you again for highlighting like, yes, society is a part of why we don't feel good enough with these things. But also, our it, it's all inside, too. It's our sense of shame, 
our sense of worth and thank you. I need those. I need yeah. these reminders because <laughs> I've been there too. But right now I'm really focused on society. But you know, everyone's different and different things can affect you more. So thank you for being the yin to my yang there and really bringing in <laughs> the shame and the experiential part of that because it really does tie so much oh, into self-worth. So much. And I want to say, you know, with Beyond Body is we, yeah, we're covering the, the body ideal, like all of that. We're also covering body shame, like that's part of it. Body grief, like the amount of grief that I've had to really unpack over the past few years when I recognize how much this has held me back for truly like what I desire most. So there's a lot of grief when we can actually see like, wow, you know what? Like this has been, this has been me holding myself back. Um, you know, this insecurity, this lack of, of confidence in this area or this, this part of me. And yeah, so we're also going to be exploring body eros as well. And, and this is really wanting to reclaim our, our sensuality and our like reclaim our femininity for however it looks like everybody, every woman has a different body. Every woman is, is a different flower. Like I like to think, you know, or a different song and like, how can we truly find, and we have body style as another theme. So how can we find our unique style, our unique essence of who we are? And, you know, yeah, mine's a strange beauty. Like I have to start to like go into that. Like I want a guy who's like going to be like, okay, like I don't care, like grow it out, you know, like just to know that that's accepted, right? Like to understand like I am, a, it's a strange beauty. It's it's not, it is a different type of, of essence. And how can I own that? And the more I can own that, I know from all my like work that I've done, when you own it, it's like outer world shifts around you. Like, cause the only thing that really is holding you back is your own internal fixation on it, your own internal disgust of it or rejection of it. Like that's what creates the rejection on the outside. So it's like, if I can invite it in and love it. And so that, that has been like a big process is, is letting this in as a part of who I am with full acceptance. And it's, it's a continual thing to, to work with. Over the weekend, after Andrea and I recorded this episode, I was on my phone, uh, on X, and I came across the most amazing tweet. And, or, what do we call it? It's X, X, the most amazing X. Uh, I, don't, I need to get the lingo. These are still called. It, and I just want to share this because it's really going to tie together what I've been talking about today. And it's just, you know, that phrase, like when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And that can be an actual physical teacher that can come into your life. And it also can be uh, like the divine cosmic teacher, just giving you something that is going to help you integrate or see things differently. And after recording this show, I really felt so fulfilled in being able to be open about this struggle. It really has felt like this massive, massive burden has been lifted for me. I can't even explain it. I literally feel cathartically different. And it's not like, it's this beautiful lightness of being. And I was on X and I saw this tweet about Andre Agassi. Now, he was a super famous tennis player in the mid-90s. I just really want to share this with you because I think it's going to bring everything that I talked about with Andrea full circle. So there's a story that, and this comes from his memoir, Andre Agassi's memoir, Open, which like talk about what like everything we've been doing here on Beyond Body and just and today we're just being open about these things that we've been so closed off to. But the story is, is that when Andre Agassi 
was 19. So he's 19 years old and he was starting to lose his hair. He was premature balding. And he was so deeply ashamed of his receding hairline that he hid it. He actually started to wear a hairpiece. So if you look at images of Andre Agassi in his early career, he had this like thick mane of long hair that kind of had this like mullet, like he was really defined by his hair. And he made it into, at this point, he was really up and rising star and he made it into the French Open and his first Grand Slam final. And the night before the final, Agassi writes that catastrophe strikes. When he was taking a shower, he felt that the hairpiece started to disintegrate in his hands. And he called his brother to him and his brother was able to kind of like jerry-rig this, this hairpiece together with 20 bobby pins. And the next morning, Agassi, he, he writes that warming up before the match, all he could think about, all he could think about, all he was praying about was not for a win, but for my hairpiece to stay on. His, my tenuous hairpiece had me catatonic. With every lunge, every leap, I picture it landing on the clay. I can picture millions of people suddenly leaning closer to their TVs, turning to each other, and in dozens of languages and dialects saying some version of, did Andre Agassi's hair just fall off? And he went on further to say that at times he would look into the stands and see fans sporting hairdos just like his. And this would only exacerbate his sense of shame. He said, I can't imagine all these people trying to be like Andre Agassi since I don't want to be Andre Agassi. So because of his fixation on his hairpiece, even though he was like the one that was favored to win this game, he lost three sets to one because he was so distracted and concerned about his hair versus his actual playing. And after the game, his girlfriend, aware of this hairpiece catastrophe, says, I think you should just get rid of the hairpiece. And he replied, impossible. I'd feel naked. And she said, you'd feel liberated. And he thought it over for a few days. And he thought about the pain that his hair had caused him, the hypocrisy and the pretending and the lying. And then he went back to his girlfriend and he said, let's do it. Let's cut it all off. His first tournament with a bald head was another Grand Slam. It was the Australian Open. And he said when he went out there that he came out like the Incredible Hulk. He said, I don't drop one set in a take no prisoners blitz to the final. And he destroyed his competition. And he told his girlfriend, you were right. My hairpiece was my shackle. In that final, he won three sets to one. And Agassi said, Everyone says it's my best performance yet because it's my first victory over Pete Sampras. But I think 20 years from now, I'll remember it as my first bald victory. And he goes on to say that the most precious thing we have in life is time. So any time you spend worrying about something, get rid of it. And I just wanted to make sure that this came into this interview because this really was exactly the message that I needed to hear after sharing my experience around my hair. Uh, obviously, Agassi and I are both having hair issues, so some of you guys aren't having, you know, and I know not all of you guys are struggling with hair issues. And I think this is just a beautiful story of meeting that fear head on and saying, you know what? 
I don't want this shackle to hold me back anymore because I want to experience life. I want to win the game of life. Let's not be on the court worrying about our hair, worrying about our bodies, because in the end, none of that truly matters. So I really wanted to share that with you. And now we are going to get into another piece of my body image healing journey. Another part of the body story that's important to me is that I recognize is that as women, our bodies can often be very objectified. And this is something that is not just in our modern age. This has been something that the feminine energy has been subjugated and oppressed in in many ways. And a lot has been actual like violation on the feminine. And not only did I have a violation in childhood, but there was this aspect of when I was going through, like I told you, I didn't have boyfriends in high school. I was I was virgin, right? Like there was this pursuit of purity that I had that I wanted to stay pure because I felt dirty, because I felt shameful, right? So it's always about looking at these compensations that we'll have. And when I got into college, I was saving my virginity. I really wanted to like meet the right person. And I... I ended up having this group of friends that were all fun. We would we would drink and I was actually really had a big crush on one guy and he was like this like super hot skier, professional skier, like sponsored by Oakley and like was an aerospace engineer and I was just like really into this guy, Peter. And I we would go to Mammoth and go snowboarding every weekend. We had a like a season pass with all of his friends and I, you know, at, at this time period, I thought Peter and I were like going to go somewhere. And I was just like, went on like our first surf date. So I was like really excited because it felt like something was happening between Peter and I after like months. And I was at a, you know, a party, small party. It was like five of us. And um, like Wes came in while I was sleeping and, and, and raped me. Like, and it was, it was so like at that point. And then at that point, I became like off limits from Peter. Like Peter, like, like drew back. So like first then I had that rejection. So first I had like, holy shit, I just got my like virginity like taken by this guy who he was even just like, he wasn't even in college. Like all of us were in like the same college and like Wes was just like this guy, like what are you doing here, Wes? He's like the guy on the couch. Like what are you doing? He had like nipple piercings. I'm like, I don't want Wes. Like Wes is like dirty, you know, like, oh man. And so it's just like, that's the last, that's not how I wanted it to work. Like that wasn't the plan <laughs> that I've been like saving myself for. You know, I was like 20. And uh, yeah, and so Wes, like that whole thing. And But what happened is my bulimia at that point, I was already bulimic. At that point though, it went from like, yeah, I purge, I do this big game. Like I was taking serious hate out on myself. Like I was so coded in shame. And even then, I don't think I fully understood the implications of what that moment did for me in not feeling safe with my body and with men. So it's like, I think I had that even prior, but that moment too was like, I'm not safe to just like be. Like I thought I was in a safe environment there with those guys. I mean, we were hanging out for a long time. I know I like that was not what was welcomed or consented to. I didn't even say anything. I didn't even like I I held it in. So what does that do when you can't talk and you don't use your voice? Well then my throat became a battleground after that point with my bulimic behaviors. And I can see it was like I'd had I lost that that voice, I lost that power. And so yeah, I have seen just this whole journey of 
with being in my body and my body image healing is how unsafe I felt in my body. Love, I love things coming to consciousness and I have no shame in my recovery game or anybody's recovery game because I think something does not come to consciousness until you're able to face it. That That's my belief. Like when she's ready, she's ready. Okay, ripe for consciousness. Okay, now we'll make it conscious. Until then, it's almost like your system can't take it all at once. Like I don't think my system could have taken everything that I've had to work through in my life at once. Like I needed layers of self-compassion, layers of understanding. And to get to that, you know, that point where why I'm more of like hermit-like and feel safer being inside my home than out of my home is like when I go out, like I will, like the male energy, like it's just like, like I don't feel safe. So so what I'm really working on and why this I'm so passionate about Beyond Body is how much of the nervous system regulation work we're going to be doing that is really going to help with this actual feeling of safety. Because I've recognized like, wow, my nervous system, my poor nervous system has like never felt safe. Like that's so sad to me. And how that lack of safety has impacted so much of my life decisions, so much of my beliefs about the world, about myself, about life have been from a lens of fear, not feeling safe, um, and wanting to find protection. And so I can see why my body has almost somatically created like this whole hair condition. Like it's been a beautiful way to keep me safe, to keep me protected. Yeah. Well, thank you for getting more into that. And, you know, in terms of safety and again, sharing more about sexual abuse and trauma, I teared up a little bit. That's really heavy and, and vulnerable. And it's so, again, relevant to your struggles with trauma and food and body. And again, people can relate. So thank you for that. And let's get back on track with our questions here because I think we're only at number three out of like eight, <laughs> which is amazing. I love what we've been getting into. But let's go back to the topic of body hair and trying to control that. What has taking measures to try and change and control your body or your body hair cost you? I think the biggest thing, I mean, wow, I mean, like so much. So for me at a time, but also it's, it's, intimacy, like what I desire most, like what I want to like come and like take out of this life. Like I want to have that connection. And it has just been continually this elusive thing that is forever not there because I'm never fully accepting. It's it's the same thing I can see in someone with dieting and weight loss. It's like this elusive, like you're just always trying to chase this thing that's going to be perfect and idealized, but it's not true. It's not the natural reflection of you. So if I always want to be chasing this idealized relationship where they're never going to be able to see my hair or like know it exists, it's never real because it's never truly me. So it's until I can just be like me, then that's when like it changes. So for me, it's just been this continual dieting, quote unquote, like relationship cycles of going into these unavailable things that are truly never going to get my needs met or truly be an expression of my full self, like who I am. Yeah, well, it's authenticity, mm -hmm. right? Being, yeah, and authenticity brings the real connections. And it sounds like struggling with your body image and body hair has held you back from true connections. It takes you from time. It takes you from life experiences just the same way any body image struggle can. And you talk about your your rehabilitation for body image and body hair. What steps have you taken to repair or rehabilitate your body image? For me, it is focusing on the masculine feminine energies that's been really helpful and it, it is just about deepening into acceptance and love of self unconditional love of self so i'm doing a lot of reparenting work so i'm instilling within myself a good mother and a good father 
and I look at like how is that energy going to be met within me. So first, before I even look at my counterpart in terms of like the sacred marriage or the inner marriage of the divine masculine and divine feminine, it's more around even having a good father and good mother inside of me. And so imagine you have a child with this condition, like, you know, how would you treat them? How would you, would the dad say, like my dad would grab my mustache hairs and my brother would say like, you have dude hair, you know, like, so it's like always that would be, so that's not how, no, that's not, that's not going to help me heal. I have to have the the father that's going to say like, hey, you're a unique bird. <laughs> like we love, like, you know, like show me all the exotic animals in the world and be like, hey, you're a zebra. You're not a horse. Like <laughs> you're awesome. Like let's my little eccentric beauty. Like, so, you know, and show me pictures of Frida Kahalo. Like, you know, she was a hairy woman and yeah. And the mother would just be so tender and just take me in in the moments where I'm like, I'm not good enough. Like this isn't like they're going to, they're going to reject me. Oh, I'm about to cry because <laughs> it's still sensitive. <laughs> oh, let it out. Let it out. <laughs> okay. I'm holding it together. Kind of. Um, I know. You don't need to. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, yeah, we got no, the tissue. Okay. We're, our eyes are wet over here. We're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, meeting yourself with that because it's still it is still shameful. I mean, I'm still working with it. I'm still working with it. I'm not like, oh yeah, like tough as nails. Like this isn't something I like. You know, it, it's and it's something that yeah, I'm sharing it on the Beyond Body application page, but it's not something I want to share with the greater world. People may think that I'm like transitioning. Like they may be like, wait, is Jessica like transitioning into a man? Like what? Like I don't want to deal with people who have no idea or context of what's happening in my life and what this hormonal condition has been like for me. So yeah, it's just like protecting myself in that way. I'm okay talking about it now because it is, I feel like now I've really hit the shame, all the shame barriers. Like every shame barrier that has really held me back from being my fullest, truest self is like, boom, it's been the past two years of it. So it's like, boom, it's done. I guess, yeah, that's, I guess part of it is speaking about it. That's another thing that I'm doing to repair it is if it's silent, well, like, what's that quote from the gospel of Thomas? Like, bring forth what's inside you and it will save you. Don't bring forth what's inside you and it will destroy you. Paraphrasing, but yeah. this idea that, like, if it's inside you and you're not going to share it, it will create destruction within. And this is within our own psyche, with our own unconscious. I look back at journals of me as a young girl and even in high school and college. Like, I look back at so many journals and they were just random pictures of like things with hairs growing out of it. Like, this has always been such a huge issue of mine. And, you know, like little monsters with hair. <laughs> like, it's just so it's like that has been something that has been inside me. And talking about it is really where we, we find resolution of, of our shame is through letting the secrecy out, the silence and, and the judgment and talking with others. Yeah. And I want to say I do, I'm relating a lot to what you're sharing with body hair and relationships it, with my experience with body size. So I think it's a little more relevant than you think because I think about, you know, fear of body size and judgment about being fat kept me away from deeper intimacy and connection and really kind of going through what you're describing now with body hair is like, you know what, potential future mate, this is what's going on. This is This is how I am take it or leave it. I'm not going to try and hide it or beat around the bush or be inauthentic anymore. Like it is what it is. You know, I did that with my husband and yeah. it's paid off. So <laughs> I totally, I'm like, I'm really relating to what you're saying there. There's a lot of parallels. Take it or leave it. Like that is hot. That is so hot. So I, that's, that's why I'm moving towards 
Yeah. And who wants to work with a partner who's going to be so hung up about something physical anyway? Like, it's really, you know, we talk about all the time here. We're not our bodies. It's not who we are or our real essence. So owning who you are will, and your body hair, this is it. I have body hair. It might get worse. It might not. But here we are. Um, that's that's honest. That's going to bring you the authentic connection that you're looking for. And let's get a little bit deeper into body appreciation. What do you appreciate most about your body? But I would say what I appreciate most about my body is the curves. It's the way it moves when I dance. I love the way my body moves. And it and the more I come into my feminine energy, yeah, the more and more I I dance and I allow myself to feel just in my body and embody, like be embodied. It's this this most sensual, beautiful expression that I love to to feel and experience. And so I really appreciate that about my body. It's ability to move and in a flow and have this this curvaceousness to it. When you're moving and you're having those moments, what is going through your mind? What are you thinking and feeling? It's like it's the activation of Eros energy. I'm just like, this is hot. Like, I like this. This is like, this is beautiful. This is, and, you know, so many years, I'll have to say, like, so many years of being denied the male presence in my life, out of my own, out of my own doing, okay? Like, uh, I felt very unseen in my life for, for my, just unseen. Like, I have felt that my essence has gone unseen. And so lately, what I've been doing the past year plus is like, I'm seeing myself and I'm like, girl, I'm seeing you. Like I'm your lover. Like I'm both the 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 beholder of my beauty and the holder of my beauty. And to me, it's just like, I don't, with that energy, it's like, yeah, someone's great, of course, but I'm not like now seeing like, I need to have someone like notice me and acknowledge me and praise me and all that. Like I'll welcome that in, but on my own accord, I'm seeing my beauty and that can be now even with the hair and with like, it doesn't have to be like the conventional, it can be after bawling my eyes out and snotty tissue rags and just like, it's just like, oh God, I see the beauty and everything, the feeling, all the feminine. So just acknowledging that, that energy. So for me, it is, it is like a love of myself that I'm coming more and more into and appreciation just of self, of recognizing it. Because we also get so trapped and thinking that we have infinite amount of time on on earth and that we're so fixated on wanting to change and manipulate something, you know, with eating disorders or even kind of with the struggle that I have with my body here. It's like, enjoy this moment, like enjoy the moment you're in and like let any other things that you think need to have happen or be or that need to fall into place in your life in order for you to be happy. Like let those just fall away and enjoy the moment. And there's so much to savor in every moment, even if it's a painful moment with strong emotion, like even shame, like there can be beauty and tenderness in that because that's when good mother comes and wraps her arms around you and loves you in a way you've always wanted to be loved, always wanted to be held. It sounds like you're getting, you know, like the the love that you needed as a child now from yourself. And you're like, yeah, maybe, you know, a man or someone can offer that to me, but it's not everything. Really, I'm whole first and foremost. That's a really beautiful yeah. place to be. Yeah, I want to bottle that shit up and sell it. It's good. (laughs) I'm liking it. (laughs) (laughs) I can feel like the magic and the energy coming off you. And I think it's, you know, it's a testament to like, yes, you know, you have, you're expressing discomfort and struggles around body hair. There's things that are not totally ideal or comfortable. And at the same time, there are things that you appreciate your body and you're finding self-love 
And I think that'll probably be another thing that will help people discover or get into mm, with Beyond yeah. Body. I hope so. And what is now that you're kind of, you know, you're in a place of embracing your your movement and, and self-love, what are some things that you know now that you wish younger you would have heard when she was developing her beliefs about her body? I wish she would have heard that it's okay to be different, that it's okay that your uniqueness is a strength. Because I think my whole life I have felt just so different, uh, yet appearing so normal to to like that. So that's been the huge thing, right? To just be like, that is your, that's your gift, like actually, and like cherish it, own it, appreciate it. It has value. Yeah. It has value. Oh, I'm, I'm so inspired by that. And I know like the feeling of others is so common in people who experience trauma as well. And I re-listened to my episode of this, of my body story and our questions that where you interviewed me to prepare for this one. And we, your answers was almost the same as mine for that one. It was like, I felt different and it's okay to be different. And you're saying the same thing, like coming from a totally different angle. But at the core of it is like, it's okay to be different. You may feel different for one reason or another, but that's all part of the beautiful human tapestry of rich body expressions and life experiences. Like there's no real right or wrong. Thank you for highlighting that. And what is one thing that you would say to folks who are struggling to believe that they can actually be happy and healthy in their bodies no matter what they look like? We are the ones who create our own mountains. (laughs) Like we're the ones who create all of this within us. And I know it's not as inspiring as it could be like, but just kind of like what's stopping you from being happy and healthy right now um, and find that little like just that spark in you that can create that moment to moment to moment. And it's almost like you just keep bringing that forward. I'm not going to deny the hard parts in that process, but there's just this idea that we can find fulfillment in this very moment when we are separate from what we want. And it's actually when we start to bring and close that gap in just our own state of being is when we find what we ultimately want because it's never it's never the it's never truly what we think it is like that it's the number or the body shape or getting to that it's like an internal state of being that we want to experience or feelings that we want to have so i'd say how can you start to generate those feelings for yourself and if you're working with extreme low self-worth like I understand that it's very difficult to then feel worthy and capable and strong. And um, so I, I guess I would say learn self-compassion. Uh, that's the number one skill that you can learn to improve your relationship with yourself. If you improve relationship with yourself, you will naturally improve your relationship with food and body because you're no longer taking these things out out on yourself in battling yourself. And so, I mean, self-compassion's where it's at. It's like, it's where it's at. Like it's, it's the fundamental, it's like the most important thing because that will get to the shame. That, that is what is the antidote to shame. And shame is what drives and fuels these body dissatisfaction, these destructive behaviors. And so when we can really find what the antidote to that is, which is self-compassion, you're going to you're going to experience and then feel, feel just you got to feel to heal. Everything's feelable. So those emotions are there. They're not going anywhere. And sometimes they can be trapped for decades and just do not fear the release of them and know that it actually can be something that can be really life, life giving. And, and I mean, 
at this stage, you know, going through all the things I've gone through, I'm in like my post-traumatic stress growth stage. And like, I am just like full of joy because uh, I'm willing to experience everything. I, there's no emotion. I'm like, bring it on. Like any emotion, I love you. I'm going to feel you. And so I um, with that, I've, I feel like an immense joy in, in my life and my just being, my state of being. That's so beautiful. Thank you, Jessica, for really diving deep into everything so vulnerably. And I think this conversation, I think it really highlights kind of like how I feel like we're the yin and yang to each other sometimes. Like we're we have we're so different in some ways, and we also kind of have our ways where we come down and relate in the middle. And I think that's that's awesome. So I really love hearing your story and just how you really capture the experiential nature of some of these really intense feelings and experiences. And I know that this has been important for you to share and open up vulnerably. Grateful for you, Andrea, and your work and yeah, how you how you're part of this podcast channel and host of Recover Strong. So I, I really do cherish working with you and love seeing your feminine beauty shine <laughs> and masculine nature because it takes both. We need both. Our beer and our doer. Our, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how you be and I like how you do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, well, lovely listener. Your body is a powerful and amazing instrument whose job is to carry you through this world and help you experience life. And so we are here for you. Subscribe and continue to follow this series and come join us on the path to body freedom and learn what it means to fully live in your body, regardless of your shape, your size, or the number on the scale. Go to recoverywarriors.com slash beyond to request an invite to apply for Beyond Body. This is our six-month body image accelerator program for middle-aged professional women with a history of an eating disorder. So once again, that's recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. We would love to connect with you close and a personal week after week for many months and many moons to do this deeper healing work together. Thank you so much for being a part of this.